happening now. We want to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good morning, good day, good evening. This is EdTech Situation Room, episode number 282 on January 25th, 2023. My name is Jason Neifer, and I am the Executive Director of the Montana Digital Academy, which is Montana State Virtual School, located on the beautiful University of Montana campus right here in Chile, Western Montana. And joining me tonight, as always, good evening, Dr. Fryer. How are you tonight, this evening, sir? Good evening. I'm realizing that my microphone was completely off, and I don't even know if I if I have it set. So, hey, uh, I'm good. I uh, am here. Uh, I'm here in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I am in my second semester at Providence Day School as a an innovation teacher, which by the way, we have a posting for another middle school innovation teacher. So if you are interested in working with me and the wonderful, fantastic team that we have teaching computer science, robotics, especially esports, we would love somebody who knows some things about esports or is willing to learn and jump in um, because we have a we have a number of high school students very excited about esports. Anyway, I am um, just, you know, enjoying the opportunity to teach media literacy, robotics, and this semester intro to engineering. And it is not snowing outside. In fact, we we may not get any snow, but I think there's a rumor that we may um, just personally uh, have, have a, a little mountain rendezvous this weekend and maybe see some snow. So is there any snow on the ground up in Big Sky Country? There is. Absolutely, there is. And we are going to get uh, some weather that I think is going to accompany with some snow. It did dump a little bit of snow this morning. Um, but next week, because I know you like to hear the, the lows, uh, it will be negative 21 on Monday morning. So that's that's not a wind chill. Yeah, that's not a wind chill. That's the actual temperature. And luckily, there Western Montana isn't particularly windy, but what is windy is north central Montana, which is where I grew up. And my parents currently live. Uh, currently live. My parents grew up. It's my hometown. And um, they get those kinds of temperatures too. But then it's very windy in Great Falls. In fact, there's more wind in Great Falls than there is in Chicago. So um, it's going to be negative 24 there on Monday morning. And the wind is going to be pretty hardcore. So yeah, it's... Uh, um, it's the time of year where I like I, I appreciate winter because you know significant uh, moisture in the winter means less likelihood for fires in the summertime. So uh, that's something we definitely hope for uh, in spades here in um, Montana. But uh, the bottom line is is that it's going to be pretty chilly. So we're going to have to put the extra. In fact, I'll I'll need to get my 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 collection of flannel shirts to be that much more uh, hardcore. So wow. Well, we always have to do some kind of, uh, of weather check-in or something, but uh, what is the official uh, reason for gathering this Wednesday night? And shout out to Peggy George joining us from Arizona, where I'm betting it is considerably warmer. What are we up to tonight? Well, we've got a bunch of links, uh, you, which you can find yourself at edtechsr.com slash links. But tonight we've got uh, AI, which is kind of turning into our tech correction, as it turns out. Um, some Apple news, Google news, a little tech correction and Twitter news, some media literacy, security, connectivity, some miscellaneous, and then win tonight in our Geeks of the Week. And Dr. Fryer, you did our Lions work this week of getting us some links to talk about. Is there a particular place you'd like to start tonight? You know, I kind of liked last week when we, uh, you know, did a, a variety of things and we sort of finished on the AI because we've got uh, a lot of those articles tonight. So uh, let's actually talk about Apple. And then I think I want to do a miscellaneous. We'll kind of hit some of these. Uh, do you want a large HomePod, Dr. Neifer? Well, Wes, um, I have to admit something to you. Uh, so... We, we so we just finished a very long kitchen project. It took uh, almost three months uh, to complete, uh, and I had COVID during it, and uh, we didn't have a kitchen for the last three months. And it finally finished up. This is a kitchen we've been planning for years and years and years, and we were able to save up because of our lack of travel during the COVID era. And um, we had some shelves built in that we weren't expecting, and I wanted a solution to that, so I might have ordered a new HomePod. Okay, well, there you go. Well, that was my lead article here from Ars Technica on the 18th. Apple's full-size HomePod is back with new features. Um, and, you know, this model was discontinued in 2021. Um, and so it's kind of interesting for it to return. I will admit, uh, Peggy uh, mentions in the chat that she's looking forward to our, our AI and chat GPT. I kind of want a smart speaker that has 
ChatGPT on it. I mean, it is so incredibly powerful that, yeah, it's just uh, it's just kind of amazing. So what? Yeah, and I, and I have an article related. I have an no, article no. related tonight. Oh, you want to do that now? Go, go for well. I want to know what what swayed you uh, to to go this direction because I'm actually super excited just just because I'm going to learn because yeah. you have Madame A and and we both have uh, the Google Assistant and, and Google Smart Speakers. Was it just kind of a desire to see where Apple was with all this or had you had some feedback from other people or articles? What, what swayed you? Um, I did read a couple of reviews and because of the size of the space and because of, of the location of the speaker, it does have kind of a, a laser beam forming audio that senses the room and is able to fill it. And it doesn't really matter. I mean, it, with this particular case, we you know have a brand new kitchen. We have all brand new appliances. And I thought, what a way to kind of finish it up than to put um, a, a, a high end speaker inside of there. And the other one we were looking at was a, a pretty nice clipsh speaker that was a bluetooth um and line in that we were going to actually put uh one of the little alexa boxes onto so that um uh uh we could have you know, some kind of smart speaker functionality but there's a couple things the first one is that um i am increasingly persuaded by Apple's security uh, 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 premise. And for me, over time, and I, you know, I've got a lot of experimental devices in my house. I'm a nerd. This is my main hobby. It's, you could argue, my only hobby um, that, that I do. And so I play around with this stuff. And you know, over time, um, you know, I like it when technology goes from being a, a toy to just being part of my daily life because most technology doesn't end up that way. I get the, the, the interest of playing with it and it's nothing more than a toy, but uh, uh, a smart speaker is an important thing to both me and my wife. We spend a lot of time in our kitchen. We'll spend even more now because we have a, a new kitchen with a much better layout and a much better uh, a place to sit down and have meals. And so just the two of us. And so that, that's what did it. And the reviews are very impressive uh, so far, but I also think that this might be a kind of a springboard for me to get a little more integrated into Apple's home um, uh, architecture for their smart home. And with the privacy stuff, you know, there are, uh, you know, there's an unlimited number of smart plugs available for dirt cheap. Many of them I do think have relatively secure firmware, but I'm guessing that Apple in general is just doing a little more vetting than either Madam A or the Google Home devices uh, from a security and, and a privacy standpoint. I love it. You know, I am so just dependent. I, I, I recreated our smart home um, this, you know, starting in August when we moved. Um, number one, it was wonderful to just have the same Wi-Fi, different internet provider, of course, different house, you know, different state. But uh, hey, the Wi-Fi SSID, the, the, the network number, it's the same. And then deciding kind of where I wanted to deploy plugs and, uh, and all of that kind of thing. And just... Um, it, I will be super curious at, at the comparison because I, I haven't dove into that in part because certainly in our old house, which was considerably larger than, than when we're in now, you know, I just wasn't going, even if I got one, um, you know, Apple smart speaker, I just couldn't see myself paying that price to, to do more. Now we probably, I don't know, one, that speaker might do a better job sort of filling the, the home with audio. I'm, I like to have the audio and the speakers in multiple rooms. So Anyway, I'm, I contemplated um, when it was on sale, um, one of the, the bigger, I guess the Hub Max maybe, uh, I forget what it's called. Anyway, to have a little bit more robust sound, you know, in the living room. But uh, yeah, I'm super, super excited. Let's do a couple more Apple ones and then um, whatever, whenever you think you want to segue to that one. Uh, <laughs> Gizmodo, January 18th, Apple reportedly delays AR glasses and puts all hopes on mixed reality headsets. Um, I will share probably um, as one of my articles, actually a wonderful podcast, you know, periodically both Jason and I, I think we'll listen to the security now podcast from the twit network. We'll listen to this week in tech, which is Leo Laporte's show where he has guests on. And man, I listened this week just, you know, on my commutes to and from school and, and then in the evening, um, you know, a fantastic uh, discussion. And um, anyway, it's just, it, it just appears that, 
for 2023, we're going to be looking at AI and ChatGPT and the integration of these AI capabilities, generative AI capabilities, far more than we're going to be looking at augmented reality. I did not get the article. Maybe I can grab it. But we've mentioned HoloLens, uh, which is you know Microsoft's um, VR uh, play and and the military. I don't. Did, did I tell the story about the friend that I met who's like a GS thirteen in the army and helps vet? Um, new tech and no, I've visited, yeah, and I, I visited with him because friend of my 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 parents, friend of our families, um, and and this is no nothing classified here, uh, sharing that uh, you know the army had put on hold this massive implementation of a full VR setup where literally we're not talking augmented reality where you're seeing the world through glasses, we're talking about the full on headset where the soldier can, because of all the cameras mounted on their body and everything, literally, you know, put the, the gun, point it behind them and see where they're shooting. But it was on hold. And then uh, Leo Laporte said in this week's tweet, that was as a congressman or something like that, that said, you can't, hey, Army, U.S. Army, you can't buy any more HoloLens or any more Microsoft. So it really, it seems like AR um, is, it, May, may have some more promise, but but VR, all of this, it's just, it's a lot of hype. And as one of the guests on Twit talked about, it's a solution kind of looking for a problem, you know, or a technology looking for, uh, for a problem. Man, my, my uh, video is not doing great tonight. So, <laughs> any, so anyway, um, yeah, I don't think Apple's going to be, this has been the fabled, right? The fabled Apple car, the fabled Apple, you know, like Google Glasses and, and, and AR play. But, you know, we've been surprised before, and Apple really tends to do a pretty good job relative to other tech companies of keeping things secret. So, yeah, we might be surprised, but it doesn't appear that that's going to be a major thing this year. Well, and, and I will say that um, Apple has an extraordinary track record for kind of keeping a pulse on, on uh, uh, particularly consumer sales. And, you know, I... Not that AR won't be an important part of our future. Uh, I, I don't. I think it's too early to know what exactly that looks like. So I don't think the decision has by been made by any stretch of the imagination. But what I would also argue is that um, so far I feel like it's a lot of hype and not a lot of delivery. And um, I think there is some extraordinary, particularly educational applications to it that would be really next level. And there's a lot of people that work in this space that 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 know that there's probably a better future here but as long as apple is staying out of ar and is focused more on that augmented reality piece um i'm sorry vr as opposed to augmented reality that if, as long as they stay in in the uh the augmented reality i'm guessing that's probably where this technology is going to ultimately go i'll go ahead and share the link to it so here is uh from january 23rd <laughs> this is a reference by the way to mastodon you toot right you toot too right twitter api fallout section 230 tiktok ban tech layoffs Amazon smile RIP. Um, this is one of the best discussions of, of, of number one, just what's been going on with Twitter. They spend about 30 minutes, but section 230 and its impact and, and the tech correction. And I just, I can't, I can't recommend it enough. Like it was, there was so much here to, to chew on. And, um, and this was just, just last Sundays. I've never tuned into that live. Um, but, but they were talking about, Apple has made important changes in its developer, you know, packages for AR and VR. And at one of the things that Apple does so well, and I think they probably do it better than anyone else, is they take care of their developer community. And they know when it comes to things like apps on a smartphone that relies upon developers and they need a robust software, you know, ecosystem and, and they also need to really pay attention to the needs of developers. And so the point was made in that Twit podcast that while Apple has not come out with a hardware device to revolutionize, they've continued to make major plays in, you know, I, I guess, 3D and the kinds of technologies that are needed as far as creating, you know, virtual environments, whether it's an augmented or it's a complete virtual environment. So Apple is, is certainly still continuing to develop in, in that direction. Um, and maybe they're building it in a wiser way um, than let's say Meta might. I mean, can you imagine the billions of dollars that Meta has spent trying to get this Ready Player One world to, to happen? And um, 
oh my gosh, you what if they had spent that on AI, <laughs> you know, yeah. or on or on or I mean, you could probably think of a or or how about affordable housing or there's all kinds of things that yeah. they could have they could have spent it for. Okay, yeah. and there's one more Apple article, uh, but that's yours, and I love the headline: Why it's okay to build to buy a Mac with only eight gigs of RAM? Oh, with only eight gigs. <laughs> well, um, we had reported last week about the, the new availability of uh, Apple devices, and I did mention last week what I still think is the, one of the most stellar deals uh, uh, in, in, in the history of, of computing, which is for the educational pricing, the $499 M2 Mac Mini, which I think would be easily an eight or 10 year device. I don't like devices having to last that long in schools, but I know that law schools face the, those types of realities, but it could, could easily be a long-term device um, on a teacher's desktop or uh, as a, a supplemental a classroom. I, I, I know that people prefer laptops in a, in a lot of scenarios, but I still think there's a lot of use to a good desktop computer. And if you yourself um, I don't always like to be on a laptop, like a large monitor, like a um, full-size keyboard, full-size desk, which is something that I very much cherish myself, despite loving uh, laptops. Uh, I think this, this, this $500 machine is extraordinary, but it only has eight gigabytes of RAM. And if you start to read around like advice sites on the internet, they are saying things like, and I don't think this is a terribly unrealistic notion, that you should start, if you, especially if you're a power user or you're buying a computer to last, you should start uh, uh, looking at 16 gigabytes as a, a, a RAM minimum. Now, I have to say, um, I have long been, like, I, I, I try to max out the RAM Um uh, uh, for uh, uh, my personal computers or when I'm buying for uh, uh, my, my team or, or staff or making recommendations because I do think it adds longevity and uh, you know RAM makes things feel faster uh, uh, because if you have more RAM it's easier to switch between things and there's more working memory uh, to be able to complete computing tasks but what this great How To Geek article argues on January 17th is because of the unified architecture of the new Apple Silicon boards it matters a lot less than than it used to and i think that's that's something that's important to remember um i have a uh, uh and, and by the way i'm talking about the new um uh apple architecture not older mac machines with intel uh, chips but um i i have a, a macbook air m1 i bought the base model because that was available and i could get it uh, very cheaply due to some coupons and some credits i had and it it's just fine. And I consider myself to be a, a, a pretty uh, a power user a style user. And there's just nothing I can do on that, that machine. So, you know, if your choice is, um, you know, spend more money than you want to, to get the 16 gigabytes, I'm not sure if that's, that's even necessary anymore. Um, and this, the architecture does change things uh, about the way we might approach computing. Peggy's pointing out it is a remarkable price. And uh, I'll note that in the article as well, they're they're saying, you know, from a Windows standpoint, that may not be the case is that eight, eight gigs is good. But like you said, for the Mac, for its architecture, um, it it's solid. So I just think it's remarkable, isn't it? How, <laughs> you know, it wasn't that long ago. Wow, two gigs in a Chromebook. And then we were saying, okay, don't buy your Chromebook with less than four. And, you know, and now we're 16. So, but I think, you know, Apple... Um, well, there's so many that we, we gush about Apple here, I guess, sometimes, don't we? We do. Uh, Sorry. They, <laughs> well, I don't think we need to apologize. Hey, you know, no one's paying for this show, so it's okay. <laughs> um, the fact that Apple continues to be so informed by their mobile devices and the mobile experience, right? Battery consumption, power consumption. Is it a premium with mobile devices because you want things to operate as long as you, as you can have them? And you know, I, I think that um, that's uh, continued to bring beneficial influences to their uh, portable, you know, to, to, to laptops as well. So I don't think we're going to see, you know, Apple again, do do like any kind of, uh, you know, yoga laptop or touch laptop. I continue to have trouble at school uh, when we have the laptops out, you know, trying to touch the screen and, and whatever. Our kids have, have iPads. But Anyway, I'm 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 just super super happy with my M1 laptop. I I just I I can't foresee myself at this point needing anything faster. Um, and um, you know, it was pretty nice to to make the upgrade with the phone. I particularly like being able to do this on the show. This your X split VCAM software that I'm using. You know, being able yep. to do that and leverage that really bright 
you know, awesome camera, but it's, uh, you know, Apple's, Apple's doing good stuff. So I would love to see, and I don't know if you've seen this, Jason, maybe we can look for it. How many schools are still with Apple now? My perception was, you know, during the pandemic, Google had such an explosion um, of everything, you know, well, to include people, I don't know if we've got articles about that, but there's been some significant layoffs in Silicon Valley, but there's all, it's also because there was a huge hiring boom. Apple was the slowest of the companies. And so, they're, they're not letting go as many, but anyway, uh, lots and lots of schools going to Google Classroom, lots and more Chromebooks being purchased. Um, maybe that's something at NCCE or, or whatever, just in your perusals of, uh, uh, you know, internet and things, or we can actually go search for it. What does it look like now when we look at one-to-one devices in K-12 schools? What is the chunk that Apple has? You know, what's Chrome's bite? Um, I th- would think Microsoft has a very, very small piece of that pie right now. And, um, you know, I'm very thankful to, uh, you know, be, be at an Apple campus. I'm at, at even more of an Apple campus than I was previously because we did, we went ahead and went with Chromebooks for yep. our middle school one-to-one. Um, and now I'm back to, you know, all, all Apple devices. So even though I think the iPad is still, it's challenging in many ways as the, as the single device that students have, I'm fortunate in my, my computer classroom, my, my media literacy and robotics classroom to have laptops that we can use, but Anyway, I'm super happy with with these devices. And if anybody is going to purchase something from, you know, for for yourself, um, you know, as we've as you mentioned with Swappa and other things, there's just such a great return on investment that you you get with Apple devices. And even if you get something old, which could be an M1 now because the M2 is new, I think you're going to be super happy. Yeah. And by the way, if you know, if someone walks up to you and offers you a M1 Mac mini, or, uh, or I should say uh, M1 MacBook Air for, you know, three, four hundred dollars because they feel that the the the, the price has dropped that much in the two years since it's been out. Like, go find the cash to buy it. Like it's, you know, that these Apple devices are really do have a lot of staying power. I do hope that Apple continues this policy to support devices for a long time, because I think that's one of the the, the returns on investment for Apple is that you get the newest software for for usually a long time um, after the the uh, they stop selling a particular um a laptop but uh yeah it's uh, uh i think a good investment and i think that that eight gigabytes of ram uh question is, is a good one to think about and as it turns out you probably don't need the the um uh the, the top notch there so peggy's asking in the chat why would anyone need a mac mini pro do you have an answer for that um yeah i mean if you are video 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 encoding maybe yeah video encoding if you're a creator in some way shape or form or um you know you are a power user and the cost is not that big of a deal to you but one of the things that's really happening here and not all pros are super happy with apple right now because um you know they the the pro models uh have been um slightly um uh i guess for lack of a better way of putting it um uh, depreciated over time and they haven't figured out an Apple Silicon Mac Pro yet. Uh, and the last generation of Mac Pro, which was Intel based, isn't as upgradable as people are used to there. But yeah, I think it's for for, for creators. I mean, I will say that I use a base model uh, Mac uh, MacBook, or I'm sorry, a Mac Mini at work, and it works great. Um, uh, uh, and and in fact, I think all my stuff is the base models now. And that wouldn't have been me five, ten years ago. I would have always upgraded to to bigger and better. But this platform is just really impressively fast. So it's under Google, but this is another Mac article. Uh, and this is that I think you put in the new Mac Mini is proof that Google needs to rethink Chrome boxes. Yes. Yeah. That's a great actually transition to Google. So this is from Android Central on uh, um, uh, January 19th. And this article makes the point that at the $499 price point, um, actually, they, they talk about even at $599. But if you're talking about schools, uh, you would have a cheaper model of, uh, or cheaper version available to you um, that it. it like you, you understand that it may be harder to manage if you're not used to the max, but the value proposition of the $500 um, uh, a Mac mini is uh, well ahead of similarly priced hardware on, on the Chrome side of things. And um, uh, 
the bottom line is I love Chrome uh, hardware. Um, in fact, I, uh, I regularly do use a Chromebook, and I, I've used a Chromebox as my primary device. How many Chromebooks have you owned in your life? Uh, I, I, uh, a senator, I don't recall the answer to that question. Um, the, um, the, the bottom line is that it's really expensive to buy that Chrome hardware with the, the beef that I'm looking for in, in, a, in, in a device. So that's a I five or I seven chip or 16 or 32 gigabytes of Ram. And right now, if you look at similarly priced Chrome boxes, uh, um, you're getting way less than what you're getting for these Mac minis now. And, you know, I, I, I it's hard for me because I really like Chrome OS and I think Chrome OS is an, easy, 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 uh, adoptable operating system for a power user. But if you're talking about apples to apples here, um, that's only kind of a pun. Um, the, the, the bottom line is, is that you just get a lot more functionality and probably more longevity and certainly more power use out of the Mac mini uh, base model than you would out of similarly priced Chrome boxes. So I think Google needs to do some work here. I am very encouraged by the um, ARM-based chips that Google has been uh, working on, um, a lot of the ARM-based, I know the Snaps, Snapdragon 7C Generation 2, which is a Chrome box, uh, or I'm sorry, Chrome book chip that is really fast and works well with 8 gigabytes of RAM. If they can get the price down, that might make an attractive uh, Chrome box at you know the $300, $350 range. But I just, they're going to have to, think about this differently if they're going to have longevity as a desktop operating system. Ladies and gentlemen, not everyone you meet on the street is going to be able to just have that roll off the tongue with the Snapdragon chip. So Dr. Neifer is something special. Um, okay. So we have three live viewers. If you happen to be joining us live, uh, please join in the chat. Uh, we've got Peggy George there in the chat. Also uh, all of our links, edtechsr.com slash links. Uh, we've really been talking Apple and we're transitioning to Google, but we are going to be talking some chat GPT and some tech correction. And oh my gosh, there's probably like 15 articles under tech correction, Twitter. And we're going to, we probably can't talk too long. I don't know, whatever. We'll do whatever we do. Cause you know, we, we just fill up the time here, but, uh, Wow. You want to keep going Google a little bit more? Yeah, a couple more Google articles. Something's been hanging around for a little while. Um, first, um, there is uh, an interesting uh, beta app that Google's working on that it seems to pop up in different um, way, shape, or form, but it's called Assistant Memory, and it's an unreleased service that basically c c combines together um, Google Collections, Google Assistant, and the Chrome reading list, which are very uh, uh, relatively small. At least Google Assistant, uh, I think, is 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 the fourth or fifth ranked uh, assistant of of all that that are available now. But into one application with the idea of kind of creating. Um, an external brain or a second brain, which has become kind of a bigger deal um, in the last couple of years. But this great article from Chrome Unboxed argues that um, it, it's 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 rumored, and there have been screenshots of it that have, have, have gone around. But it's still you know very much on the the uh, whiteboard and not available for even testing. And I. I love phones for this. I think one of the ways that you can make your phone less of a distraction and is to really use it for what things it's great at. So for example, I do have what I call a cow or compendium of wisdom document. That That's not a computer on wheels. It's not a computer on wheels, uh, although that's also a popular uh, acronym uh, in the ed tech world. But I, I actually uh, got this idea from when I had an exchange student uh, five years ago. His English teacher had students keep notebooks that, that were called cows, compendiums of wisdom. And I love the idea, and so I stole the name. But I have a Google Doc where I dump in all the information that I want to save and it's easily accessible with one click on my phone. And I take notes in there all the time of books I'm reading, of things that I'm doing. And between the three cow documents I have across my, my different use cases, I probably have two, 300 pages of uh, stuff would be uh, probably the most polite way of putting it. And sometimes it's productive and sometimes it's not. And sometimes it's bad ideas that just need to be somewhere. But I feel like this, thing this assistant memory uh piece if google could figure out a way to configure all these things together it would be an extraordinary power user piece 
I'm using Apple Notes constantly, oftentimes, well, always pretty much now composing uh, social media things that I'm going to be sharing. Um, oh, and I think I have a geek of the week to share relative to that as far as uh, splitting up text and, and threads and whatnot. But I like the synchronization. And so because I'm signed into iCloud on my laptop, some, you know, if I, if I need to on my iPad, normally this is phone to, to laptop. Anyway, yeah, that's a, we, we've talked about uh, what David Allen getting things done, yep. inbox zero, yep. this concept that we've just, it really helps to have a trusted place where you put these things and get them out of your brain and then you can refer to them. So I'm, I'm continuing to be pretty happy with Google tasks because yep. of its integration right with Gmail. And so I use that app on my iPhone. Um, but then, you know, Google tasks and, and then the Apple notes app, that's my I don't know if it's a compendium of wisdom, but that's where I'm dumping a lot, a lot of ideas and, 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 and also just, you know, dictating um, and, and then editing and then copying and sharing. Absolutely. All right. What else for Google? Um, well, um, the uh, I'll just briefly mention this one because I don't want to start in on on uh, Dr. Knife on Chromebooks tonight. But uh, th there were uh, there's a, another good article from Chrome Unbox. This time it's about CES. We haven't talked all that much about CES. And to be honest, I've read a lot of the list. And other than there are starting to become some uh, more interesting health monitors available. Um, which I think is great. It's it's something that I really credit with with my ongoing health, despite um, uh, the the health problems I've been dealt in life. That that the kind of quantified self medically has been very important to me. Um, but this article talks about how that this year's CES there seems to be um, uh, uh, both uh, more affordable Chromebooks that have some some some. Um, a hardware that's a little more advanced there's more value in in purchasing that chromebook and also some new form factors they're working on as well and um i still think that um you know the, the chrome architecture provides so much extraordinary value especially if you just don't need anything that fancy and i would also argue that you know as a that if you're a power user you could also get away with a better chromebook but you need that eight gigabytes of ram and um, you know, somewhat faster chip, but, you know, I have, uh, purchased before when it was on mega sale. Uh, this is, uh, the, the target Sam, Samsung, um, uh, Acer Chromebook. And then says, yes, OMG, this really works. Um, um, and, uh, I've brought it with me to conferences before because I, I, one of the ways I like to support kids in using Chromebooks is knowing what it's like to be on a lower end Chromebook. And assuming I'm going to have 30 tabs open, which I'm pretty sure I do right now on my you know, desktop Mac machine that I'm, I'm broadcasting off of, it's 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 perfectly good. And this was uh, on super sale for $59, but it regularly runs for $99. And that's that's just extraordinary value. So good to see more affordable Chromebooks in the pipeline. Okay. And then this Google Docs one is actually great. I was showing my students, we're talking about AI and using the um, microphone in Google search that, yep. that we can use with pretty, pretty good results. And then this is talking about Google Docs. Yes, uh, there is um, uh, more functionality being built into uh, Google Workspace's Google Docs product, and it is available, I think, uh, in all channels. That means you don't need to turn it on. It, it, it. Uh, I'm sorry, that's not true. It doesn't get turned on to all until February 6th. If you're on extended rollout, which means that um, uh, you have opted your domain into getting things a little earlier than everyone else. It's been available for about two weeks now. Uh, it takes a little while for the feature to turn on because they have to roll it out to so many different pieces. But essentially, this is an improvement in both Google Docs and Slides uh, uh, to minimize uh, uh, errors in transcription uh, and also minimize lost audio. And apparently, um, I haven't tried it, the new version yet, because I don't think we are in rapid release in my organization, but um, I haven't seen uh, a notification that's turned on yet. But voice typing is, is, is pretty well done. And um, I, I would say that, that this is a really killer feature for students and it sometimes gets written into IEPs for students that may prefer not to type or it's better if they just go voice to text. But before I or the last time I, I worked with it, which was a couple months ago, I was working on a very specific project. Um, I couldn't believe how good or, or how good a quality the results are. And that's before these enhancements. 
you know, I have the class that uh, we practice our keyboarding skills and uh, those are still important, but I also think it's great to show students other ways to get things, you know, to get ideas into your device. And uh, I, I certainly don't think that, you know, even five years ago, certainly 10 years ago, I ever imagined I would be dictating as much as I am on a daily basis, um, whether that's, you know, in the car, talking to my, you know, talking to my device or, you know, getting uh, CarPlay to do something or, you know, just wanting to share something um, on, on social media or uh, I, I don't know, even for email, it just, it kind of depends. I mean, it's so much more efficient for me usually to, to, to speak it and then edit it. And it, uh, it is remarkable. I'm, I'm using um, mostly Apple Siri technology for that because that's what I'm dictating, you know, versus view, through the phone. It would be interesting to see some comparisons and especially now that we're going to have this AI infusion, I think this is going to be huge for Microsoft, by the way. And I know we're going to get there because Microsoft's about to make this or is making this 10 what billion dollar investment. I think I think yeah. the Bing the Bing search engine may actually get good, which would be a huge change. <laughs> Couldn't help yourself there, could you? Um, uh, well, do we need to do we need to jump into AI now? Should we do tech correction just a couple at least? And okay, then yeah, the, actually, there's a lot of really oh, interesting things going on there too. So go okay. ahead. Okay, okay. Uh, Nick Fuentes is back on Twitter. This is New Republic, uh, January 24th. Folks, if you have any illusions about Elon Musk, you know, just being misunderstood and, and not really being, you know, being okay, it's just time to get over it. All right, the folks that he has replatformed. Um, this guy, Nick Fuentes, has no business at all being being empowered in any way to say anything. Um, I know free speech ab absolutists are, are probably, you know, going to really disagree with that. But, you know, it's just the stuff he says is, is absolutely horrific. And Twitter was in the right when they deplatformed him and YouTube. And, you know, it, it's just it's it's horrific. So um, I'm continuing to move towards abandoning Twitter. I'm not saying I would have will for our show, but for myself personally, there's a few things that I need to be able to, to do in the background. I think uh, with uh, the way I use hashtags and, and, and share things. Ars Technica, January 24th. I'm just going to do some quick hits here and we can get to the, the AI. Uh, the DOJ department of justice sues Google for ad dominance wants to break company up. Uh, that was yesterday. Um, this is really big, you know, with the Biden administration, um, you know, talking about consumer protection and trust busting and, and things like that. Um, there are four main points to this um, basically list of Google's anti-competitive conduct. One, they've been buying competitors, which of course, who's not doing that? That's a, that's a big fish in technology. They've been forcing the adoption of Google's tools. And so locking in publishers, uh, they've been distorting auction competition, limiting real-time bidding on publisher inventory, and then auction manipulation and, uh, you know, basically they've been acting like a monopoly because they almost are. And so I think this is this is a big deal and it's going to be interesting to to see, you know, what happens here. And then this is a, a huge article. I've got a gift link to this. But the New York Times on, on January 19th talks about this, it, the title is Supreme Court poised to reconsider key elements of online speech. And when we talk about the tech correction, you know, that's that's a, the term that Jason came up with and we use here. We're talking about this backlash to big tech and many of the things that we've, you know, hear people wring their hands about and, and lament. But this idea that, hey, maybe we're going to actually have some regulatory legislation in the United States and you know, it might not be coming from Congress. It might come from the now very conservative Supreme Court. And so um, I would just, you know, highly recommend that article. We probably should read um, a little bit more. And then I'll <laughs> mention one more. This one is crazy. And this is more, you know, nails. I don't know. This, 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 is, th this is an open AI thing. But when we talk about big tech, this is a Time Magazine article from January 18th. OpenAI used Kenyan workers on less than $2 per hour to make ChatGPT less toxic. Now, I am really happy that ChatGPT, which I think we're going to talk about here in a minute, maybe I should have put it up there, is not a horrific, racist, and, and misogynistic you know, 
chatbot that happened to Microsoft, um, you know, in, in the last year or two. And, and as I think we mentioned on the show, I think we, some of us kind of laugh and like, well, yeah, well, I guess AI is not going to be that big of a deal. But evidently, the reason why ChatGPT is so good at being able to not be utilized for horrific content is that a lot of people in this contracted company um, had to basically be traumatized by identifying horrific content that I don't, I'm not going to talk about and don't even want to mention. Um, it got to the point where there was illegal content that they understood they were being asked to, to um, collect for OpenAI. And this company completely canceled their contract with OpenAI like eight months before it finished. Um, the day laborers, uh, the, the, their take-home wage was between $1.32 and $2 per hour, depending upon their seniority and performance. And so this is, I think this would be a fantastic article to talk with students about. I'm not super used to saying this, but I think there's these terms like the globe, the global South, or we're talking, you know, when we talk about developed countries and, and developing countries, and there's more politically correct ways of saying these things, I'm sure. But the bottom line is rich industrialized high tech companies like the United States are continuing to take advantage of low wage workers in places like Kenya. And it's not just for, you know, textile production, um, you know, for, for Nike shoes and, and for, uh, you know, close. It's also for the training of the most popular and amazing AI chatbot that we have now, which is ChatGPT. So that was from I got that from the the Twit uh, podcast, and it um, that's not something I'm seeing a headline for, right? We're we're just seeing the hoopla around ChatGPT, but you know, there's a dark underbelly to all this. So sorry to rain on that parade. No, I'm sorry. I didn't quite, it's quite all right. So I didn't even get you to re let, respond. So I'll, I'll throw those to you to, to say anything you want to say. And if not, we can just jump over to uh, the full, the full AI conversation for the rest of the show. Well, um, I mean, I, there's an interesting segue to this. Well, first of all, I, I, we, we have to find a way to make the internet safe and sustainable without having to take away people's mental health. Like that, that's, it's gotta be a way that we have to do this. And it's, 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 I mean, it was, it, it it's, it's, it's worse if they're now kind of outsourcing this to people that they could pay lower wages to, because that's not that ugh, that's, there's all sorts of gross there, but um, the, the super bottom line um, is that there's just a lot going on in this space and I'm encouraged uh, in the last couple of, of, of weeks that the conversation is now uh, evolving very quickly, right? So the bottom line is that um, I'm not, um, um, I, I'm, I'm concerned about it from the standpoint that I think there's a lot of ways we can screw this up still, right? So I- Talking about AI or talking about tech correction? Uh, well, uh, AI, but um, I keep thinking about that- um, it, it's my very humble opinion that, um, um, uh, we made some mistakes in, 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 in schools in the last 25 years in the way we treated the internet. And one of the mistakes that I think we made, and I don't want to get too much in my, 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 uh, 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 anti-digital immigrant, digital native, uh, uh, piece, but I've always thought that that framework, which has been somewhat disproven by research now right like there's there's actual uh uh you know peer-reviewed research that says that, that whole differential uh was really problematic i think that that let a lot of teachers and schools off the hook in being more proactive about helping students learn technology because the bottom line is that a lot of people said well kids know more than i do and i feel like that uh, the 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 Mark Prinsky narrative about digital immigrants and digital natives uh, created a world where we assumed that teachers uh, couldn't have control of computers in a classroom or were incapable of, of understanding the implication of technology. I didn't like the framework from the first time I heard about it, still don't like it. But if we don't seize the opportunity as schools to figure out how this plugs in and help our students understand it, or worse, just leave it to them to figure it out. I think some of the problems we're facing with social networking and disinformation and 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 the the information economy could be attributed to the fact that I don't think we did enough in the educational system to get the job done. So oh, let's take this a step further. Then the 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 connection between 
um, uh, AI and the tech correction here has to do with, and now I'm going to again find my article that I put into here. Oh, this is from the Observer on January 20th. And it basically says the AI ethics war will make content moderation look like a picnic. Right. And we've talked about content moderation uh, previous to today. Obviously, the article we just talked about um, uh, is is related to that as well. But I think that there is a um, uh, there's an argument to be made that one of the biggest problems with AI is that it's a black box about what content is is uh, 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 feeding the the language model, right? And you know they talk about it in context of, uh, you know they they've exposed it to you know terabytes or petabytes of information, and I'm assuming that a lot of that was scraped off the internet. Um, and maybe they did uh, uh, spend some time trying to limit the the content that goes in. But there's an old adage in computing called "garbage in, garbage out," which means that if you input bad data into something, it's hard to then get good data out of it after you process it. So um, this article talks about that there's going to be an extraordinary amount of. Uh, 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 I guess, discussion that's going to have to happen for us to then not be, um, um, well, to, to, to trust the answers that we're getting from our AI. So I'll just leave it there and hand this back over to you, Dr. Fryer. Um, thoughts about the AI ethics wars that are coming? I think this looks like a great article. And I sadly, I didn't get to, to read it before the show, but I think that, um, Yes, it is a huge issue, and we need a. This is something as we are ourselves playing with with ChatGPT and and other generative AI tools. The fact that it's not able to sort of explain where things are coming from. Did did you post the thing about the bibliography earlier? Like that you that did you or did I see that from somewhere else? Like when you ask it for a bibliography, ChatGPT today in this version, right? This is just this iteration. will say that it can't do that. Yeah. Uh, it comes from language models. And so there's certain things, it's not going to be great at everything. Um, when we did hear the OpenAI employee, a very senior employee talk in November, who's a graduate of our school, uh, he talked about how they are having some success in some cases, asking it to explain itself, to turn its, its sort of being metacognitive. Where did, you, where did that come from and explaining its thinking? But it's totally not doing that now. Um, and so this, this whole idea about truth, I mean, it literally, if you read the, I read the Wikipedia article for open for chat GPT this morning, it was part of my morning reading and, uh, it documents in there. It's, it's, it's potential, um, to hallucinate, to, to come up with things that, that are completely made up. And so I think what we're hoping for is this great, powerful, arbiter of truth, you know, this, this conscious sentient, um, you know, algorithm that's going to be able to answer our questions. And it's also, you know, going to be able to, uh, you know, give us the facts and, and speak the truth. And, and while it is able to do incredible things and I, and I can talk maybe a little bit about my experiences with it, helping me code this week. Um, I think that this is absolutely one of the important things to talk about. We don't, we cannot rely on the validity and the, and the, and the truthfulness, the honesty, the integrity of what chat GPT is giving us. So from a creative writing standpoint or from a write me a poem or a lyric or, you know, write me this poem as, as a Shakespearean sonnet or whatever. I mean, there, there's just phenomenal things that it can do. But when it comes to being able to trust it and even understand it, this is a huge, huge issue. And it's it's really, I think, one of the most important things to to bring out and highlight, because when we talk about this with teachers, the number one thing I hear people saying is, oh, my gosh, the kids are going to cheat and they're going to use this to write their essays. This is possible. And and we've been dealing with this in a variety of ways, um, you know, in the past, but we haven't. I don't know. We, we, we've been aware of, of course, what is the source and who's who's saying that. But because of the way this comes to us, it's not like a list of Google search results that here, click on the one you want. And then it's a you, you, you know, it's coming from a different website and a different source. ChatGPT just gives everything to you in this, you know, in this package. 
really without citation. So I want to read this article and dive into it further, but I think it's an absolutely essential piece of the conversation to be having about AI and ChatGPT right now. Yep, absolutely. Well, there's some Microsoft news with AI. Um, Wes, why don't you start with the um, the partnership? Okay, so OpenAI and Microsoft have announced uh, an extended multi-billion dollar partnership. Again, fresh on my mind because I just read the Wikipedia article, or the current one as of this morning. Um, no, Peggy's saying you can ask it to give you citations? Huh. I don't, I, maybe it depends on what you... I mean, you can definitely ask it for articles. And I've done, I did that with debate. Here, I'll put this up. This was in the chat. Um, so I like, well, that's a great video. Uh, <laughs> I've asked it, hey, the debate topic is political stability in Latin America. What are the, what are the, you know, can you give me 10 sources that my students should, should look at and read that kind of thing. But when you ask it a question and then say, can you please give me a bibliography of, of that, um, Hmm, that's interesting. Peggy's saying she just saw someone demonstrate that for research papers. I just saw tonight somebody saying that, you know, it, it gave him a result that said, no, I, I'm based on a language model. I, I can't generate citations. Maybe that was because they were asking for uh, actual, um, like a bibliography from, from their work or something like that. Interesting. Um, okay, so here's the article. This is Ars Technica on uh, January 23rd. OpenAI and Microsoft announced extended multi-billion dollar partnership. OpenAI is no longer a nonprofit. Um, according to the current Wikipedia article this morning for <clears throat> ChatGPT, that was part of the reason Elon Musk got out of it as an early funder and supporter was the fact that it went uh, for profit. One of the things I understand from hearing presentations about this and, and reading is that in order to sustain, they, they just needed larger investments that they weren't going to be able to get as a nonprofit. And this is a big bet for Microsoft, but I think the fact, I think it's 10, yeah, $10 billion outlay. Um, they've already done investments in 2019, 2020, 2021. So this is an additional 10 billion. I mean, given how amazing ChatGPT is today in this version, and version four is under development and is going to be coming, um, I think I was reading third quarter of 2023. I'm, I'm not kidding. I think that this could revolutionize the Bing search engine. And we've had an article earlier about Sundar Pichai and Google. We may have another one that we, we dropped in. Google has, has done some major shifting of resources and people. Um, because they know this is a really, really big threat. We are used to getting you know, search results from a search engine. We've been doing that for a long time, but that norm may change when we can go to a chatbot and get a plain English answer and we don't have to scroll through results and figure out which one we're going to click on. We just get that answer. But again, the challenge is, can we rely on it? So anyway, that's the investment article. Well, and then- really Related to that, there's a Microsoft article that about Microsoft's internal AI uh, uh, um, experiments, but there is a uh, an AI technology that they've uh, I think released some code on that essentially allows AI to recreate a voice with just three seconds of audio. So in other words, it would need to listen to someone for three seconds before it could produce facsimiles of that. And one of the reasons why, and we haven't talked about deep fakes in a while, um, in part because um, uh, uh, they were certainly a part of the the, the 2022 election, but um, weren't as big as I think some people had feared. It's still a very real thing. But the bottom line is, is that one of the reasons why deep fake technology is becoming so much better is because of the use of AI to help um, uh, uh, generate this generative AI is, is becoming a really important part of this. So if you want a, a, a piece of video to look like someone speaking uh, certain words, whether they've spoken those on, on camera or not, uh, AI is going to help that look a lot more realistic. And now uh, and I listened to some of the samples and I, it's getting there. I mean, it's, it's early days when they're with this technology, but it was pretty interesting how close the kind of patter of 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 and the sound of the voice mimicked the original speaker after you know just seven or eight seconds of recorded audio they would have it speak another phrase and it sounded pretty darn close 
good uh, dialogue in the chat room with uh, Peggy and Betsy uh, talking about citations. Um, Betsy just uh, asked ChatGPT uh, for three articles on AI in the classroom and it can't. One of the things we need to remember is that this ChatGPT is not connected to the internet. Uh, it only goes, it's training database, I think goes through 2021. Like if we're doing fantasy football, for instance, it's not going to be able to pull data on current, you know, NFL uh, you know, quarterbacks and running backs and, and that kind of data. And um, the, I, I, I didn't write, the, I need to write something up about this talk that I heard in November uh, with, with the uh, open AI representative. But one of the things that he talked about was, you know, they literally have a kill switch that will kill all power to every server as, as they're training these, um, these, in, these, uh, these AIs. And for the, the next generation that they are building, and maybe they've, they've built it now, <clears throat> they are completely air gapping it. They're, they're going to try to do everything they can to keep it from connecting to the internet and having any way to connect to the internet. Now, folks, I don't know if this makes you think of science fiction, but you know this is how uh, science fiction movies with, with AI tend to go is that the AI connects to the public internet and it gets out. And so anyway, um, I, we can follow up with this a little bit more, but yeah, it's, it's not going to be a do everything for you academically. Um, and in fact, as teachers, I think that I've thought for quite a while that we need to be doing far more hyperlinked writing and in the bibliography or the work cited portion of an essay, that's an example, right? To, it's it's 2023. Why should every essay that's turned in not have a hyperlinked work cited or bibliography? And being able to you know check those sources and verify where you say you got that information, maybe that should be something that we do a lot more in English class or history class as we're we're writing. Um, because again, we want students to interact with content. I had actually taken out a quotation from Jason uh, a couple of shows ago. Actually, I think it was three shows ago when we did the AI and, and you, were, you were talking about how it's, you know, we got to think about engaging with content and it's insufficient to, um, you know, kind of wring our hands and, and just say, we're going to learn about these tools and use these tools. There's, there's more to it than that. So yeah. Um, let me do this, uh, the second one, uh, five days in class with chat, chat GPT. I've never heard of the Alperovitch Institute or Thomas Ridd, but I do know of SICE. Um, this is an institute in Washington, DC, uh, before it's, um, Johns Hopkins. I actually had a, a dream at one time that I might've, uh, pursued a political science track and, you know, gone and gotten an advanced degree there. Uh, Thomas Ridd wrote on January 22nd, a fascinating post where he just spent a week in a cybersecurity workshop with a teacher. And um, he talked about how every single person in the room had a screen with chat GPT up and it was a real um, leveler leveling the playing field because the folks that were in this um, class and they were learning about how they can reverse engineer malware and the kinds of sort of white hat things that we can do to, you know, protect uh, servers and, and organizations, institutions, <clears throat> folks had all kinds of ex levels of experience. And so instead of having to ask the instructor these questions or just Google them, they could immediately not go to chat GPT, but the fact that it could respond with code um, it was just, you know, uh, amazing. ChatGPT. This is from the article. ChatGPT helped us navigate unfamiliar tools. Um, you know, what do the columns and ideas assembly view represent? How do I run a, a Python script? All of these technical things. And and I'll share just briefly. I'm going to write a, a blog post about it. I spent three hours with ChatGPT this last week. I'm working with if this then that, and I want. Mastodon to do the same thing that Twitter does so that when I use a hashtag, I'm able to take that link or take that, that um, post, extract the link, you know, put that in a spreadsheet, put that on a blog, put that in a Google document. And there's not, no one has yet written the same recipe for Mastodon as they have for Twitter. And you have to use JavaScript. ChatGPT was helping me write JavaScript. I don't know JavaScript. I don't want to learn JavaScript, but I'd like to use it in this case. And it was mind blowing to have 
literally this virtual agent who was extremely apologetic and patient with me as I was having trouble. I'm continually pasting in my code. That doesn't work. I've tried this. I've tried that. What do I try next? Suggesting something else. And so anyway, this article is a good example of the impact that it's having. And, and there are people who are saying this is going to revolutionize computer science, that any coder, because with this is where it's different as far as truth, does it work? You can test code. You know, let me try that. And does it get the result that I'm looking for? Um, this is this is a game changer. It's not going to be a game changer. It's a game changer today for coders and computer science. Yeah. And there's a variety of ways that I think it could be really interesting. And, you know, I, I, I let's admit the elephant in the room. Of course, this is scary, right? Um, uh, you know, in a lot of the ways that, that we know works effectively for a lot of students in teaching and learning, this throws a huge wrench in all that. And, you know, I just want to caution everyone, you know, the, the inclination is to ban, um, that might be an interesting temporary solution if you don't, if you have, you have nothing yet to figure out to do there, but we have to start talking about this now, because if we don't, um, it's, it's going to come back and bite us later. So I just want to say that 20 years from now, schools really stepped up and figure out a way to make education more effective using these tools and also helping our students to more effectively use these tools instead of saying that we just left this for students to develop it on their own. Because I think um, uh, very few uh, 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 concepts, constructs even, in our world aren't going to be impacted by these technologies, especially now that I've seen them for real and not just in a scientific, uh, in, not in a science fiction novel. Quick miscellaneous, and then we probably better geek of the week it. Were you an AT&T customer before T-Mobile? Uh, no, Verizon. Oh, you were. Okay. Well, yeah. AT&T has a settlement, and it's weird. You can't be a customer anymore and get it because they, they paid some pittance to you, and it's probably a pittance anyway. But uh, they are going to be paying out a $60 million settlement to thousands of customers. And if you were a customer, you're within this window of time, but you're not now. You put in your information, and then they're going to send you a check. So. Anyway, <laughs> I didn't know if that would affect you. I, I, I'm well, probably going to get a check for $2 here in you know, I, six months. I have been an AT&T customer. Like, okay. It just wasn't the one before. Yeah. Um, well, look at that window because, because here's the deal. AT&T said unlimited, right? But right. it wasn't unlimited. It was throttled. And I think once you got to five gigs or whatever, you know, um, so, hey, yeah. Interesting stuff. Okay. Give me, well, give me, some, give me some coffee money. Uh, <laughs> one could hope um um uh let's geek of the weekend okay i've got two fast ones um press check i learned about this today on a webinar um you know verification is a crazy thing on twitter because now anybody can pay to be uh, verified uh press check is a website that a journalist has created to uh, verify journalists, but it, there's a real backlog. And so they've opted to publish the pending ones that haven't been verified yet. Uh, they use a tool called Airtable, which is kind of cool. I've seen that uh, kind of like Google Sheets, but it's a way to, to uh, put a table online. So it's not only a cool example of an Airtable, but I think it's, it might be a good way to find journalists that you want to follow on Mastodon, which I definitely am interested in. And then uh, TechSplit on iOS. I don't know if you've used an app for this, Jason, but I am fond now of sharing um, threads. Um, I have on Twitter and I do it on Mastodon as well. You can share 240 characters in a post in Twitter. Uh, you can go 500 in Mastodon. So this free app called TechSplit lets you simply paste in your text. Again, I'm getting this from my notes app and I can put 500 and then split and boom, it just says one of three or one of four. And then I can just copy those and put those right into a post. Really, really nice way to do a thread. It's free. And like I said, I'm using it for Twitter as well. You just have to put in the text limit for the individual post. So use 240 for Twitter, use 500 for Mastodon. Wonderful. And then what I would like to share tonight is actually a great piece of news. The book uh, came out a little later than when I think originally thought, but one of my, one of my favorite authors, uh, uh, in general, and probably my my favorite author in education is Dan Willingham, who's a cognitive scientist, and he wrote uh, what I think is the best book about understanding education. It's called Why Don't Students Like School? And uh, he recently released uh, and it came. I pre-ordered it and it came in the mail yesterday. A book called um, Outsmarting Your Brain: Why Learning Is Hard and How to Make It Easy. And I'm just so excited about this because uh, I, and I'm, I'm only about 25 pages in. But he breaks down the learning science behind 
how to study and how to learn, and then gives you specific tips on how to do that from a student standpoint. And I think we've 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 uh, decreased our uh, time that we've helped students become better learners by teaching them strategies and research-based uh, uh, tricks to be a more effective student in learning something. I think that's something we should bring back. And I know that my institution spends a lot of time thinking about this, but um, I am really excited by the notion um, of, of this book and what it's going to do for learning. So I've got a link in our show notes, but Outsmart Your Brain by Dan Willingham out now. We may have to follow up with this later, but Betsy says that she found a Google Easter egg this week. Google Choco Taco. I have no idea what that means. I just Googled it. So Betsy, you're going to have to fill us in on that one maybe a little bit later. Okay, Wes, where can people find you on the internet? I am a W Fryer at Mastodon.cloud, but uh, I have all of my channels on westfriar.com slash after. How about you? Um, I'm on Twitter at TechSavvyTeach and also on Mastodon.cloud at Knife, N-E-I-F. But hey, this here is the EdTech Situation Room. We are a once-a-week podcast on Wednesday nights, 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 and 6 if you happen to be of the Central or Pacific variety, um, or in the middle of the night if you are in U the, the Universal Time Zone, UTC. If you can't join us live, although I wish you would, you can download our podcast anywhere, find our podcast or aggregated. You can also go to our our website, edtechsr, edtechsr.com, and download a tiny MP3 or get links to our YouTube channel or Facebook, and we also broadcast there as well. Uh, we hope you have a good week. Stay safe, stay savvy, and we hope to see you next time on the EdTech Situation Room. Good night.